No success in the world can compensate for failure in the home. That's why Club Wealth was founded, to help driven, successful, and busy real estate agents like you double their business while building a strong, balanced home life. Join us each week as high-producing agents and team leaders share their stories and unpack the principles and systems they've used to double, triple, and even quadruple their business while enjoying greater quality of life. And now, here's the latest episode of Club Wealth TV. Good morning, Club Wealth and Facebook and everybody who's out there um, watching us. I'm not 100% sure if we're live yet, so we always just kind of start talking and hope that uh, eventually we're live. It looks like uh, we've finally made it live and uh, Miss Cherie Benjamin joins us, so that's great. So anyway, my name is Brian Curtis, and um, for those of you who are expecting to see Michael today, no, he didn't... Uh, his hair didn't turn gray and he didn't get glasses. Um, he's unfortunately unavailable today. He's teaching uh, Ignite in Indianapolis. And so Sheree and I are going to do Club Wealth TV today. I'm very excited about our guest. Um, you know, right now in our industry, one of the absolute things that we seem to talk about, it feels like we talk about it every single day and it becomes a bigger and bigger and bigger focus is recruiting. So, you know, everyone's trying to come up with the perfect way for the perfect method, the different things. After today, I'm not saying that we'll have a perfect way, but we'll have a gr another great tool in your toolbox. And, you know, if you have questions, please post them because uh, our guest, Jay Niblock, is the co-founder of WiseHire. And I'm sure some of you on the call this morning have used WiseHire. It's an amazing product. Gives you an opportunity to, you know, it's just lead generation for recruiting and I'll let Jay go into it a little bit more but a little bit about him um, he's actually the, the founder and CEO of a company called Intermetrics consulting firm uh, with offices in 52 countries in the world so this isn't a guy who just started a Facebook group and uh, tried to do that he's got a lot of background behind him and he, he, honestly uh, this may be the number one club wealth thing that you need to watch this year so um, without any further ado I'm going to introduce my co-host Sheree Benjamin and uh, Sheree I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself and then uh, we're going to start grilling Jeff. So. All right. So um, as most of you already know, Sheree Benjamin, um, I live in Las Vegas. Main team is in Atlanta, um, Georgia. Um, we should do a ton of deals this year. Um, I'm so excited to have Jay on because um, as most of you know, with um, Club Wealth being number one when it comes down to the coaching um, in the team space, which Michael doesn't like to say it, but I will say it because I am very proud to be a part of that. Um, recruiting is something that we all have to do. We all have to do it. We all have to have it. We discuss it time in and time again. It's, it's like at the top of our list um, when it comes down to coaching. So I am super stoked to have Jay on um, I'm hoping we get a ton of tips when it comes down to wise hire and how it can help us in our business and grow our business, not just for agents, and, but also our admin staff and so much more. So, Jay, welcome. Thanks for being here. Oh, gosh. Thank you for having me. I appreciate <laughs> you guys. Love partnering with you guys. Club Wealth is awesome. Okay. Awesome. So let me just kind of get started, Jim or Jay. Uh, for some reason, I, it says Jim in my thing here. That's not who you are, Jay. I apologize. Um, anyway, um, 
let's get started. So, you know, our number one question I hear all the time is when should I start? You know, should I should I wait? Who should I hire first? Uh, those are the things. So let's just kind of break into it. Give us a little bit of insight on, you know, I'm a, I'm a single agent. Let's just start there. I'm a single agent. You know, I did 50 transactions last year. I'm working my butt off. What do I what do I do next? You know, as someone who's who's in the in the recruiting industry. So go. Uh, no, it's a great question. And it's normally where we see it start, obviously, right? You know, when a team would be two people. So that's the most common person we see coming to us in the very beginning is they're single, they want to start a team. They don't even consider it a team like Sherry was saying, I just need help. The role we've seen to kind of work out the best is with it, whatever the role is, normally an administrative ops kind of support person is the first place to go for that sole agent. But this, the metric that you'd want to use is when I can't handle all the business because I'm doing other things. So that may mean if you're the CEO of your business, should you be doing this $20 uh, an hour job? You know, if you're $500 an hour when you're out selling, okay. based on your personality, is right. this the right thing for you to do? And we talk a lot about personality at Wisehire, where, you know, the disc and the values index that so many of you use. That's normally the time when someone comes in and says, I'm at 50 and I'm maxed. Bandwidth is the key word. So I can't do any more. I'm on top of the funnel. We talk about in one of the little books that we have up there, the booklets called Hidden. You're on top of the funnel, but then you get into business, you got to go to the bottom of the funnel. Nobody's on top of the funnel, pushing marketing and bringing in new buyers or sellers. You're too busy doing the job. So administrative assistant, almost always the first job we see somebody bring in because the personality of that great agent normally isn't really good with detail. They're better at selling and prospecting. Their higher eyes or interactive people are more decisive and type A's. Get an admin, get somebody that can help, even part-time. But by 50, you definitely, I can't imagine doing much more than that without some, I, I don't know how you get to 50 without somebody in the back office who's not just able to do that, has the time to do it, but their personality is better suited for it. And you're going to kick yourself that you didn't do it earlier because you'll watch this new person we like to say that find someone that loves to do what you loathe to do. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to be like, that report used to take me four hours to do. How do you, you must have messed it up because you're done in 30 minutes. And they're like, nah, easy piece of cake. Data entry, no problem. They love See, and that was, that's one thing I think that agents um, don't pay attention to. So that first hire really helps your quality of life. Yes. So to do those 50 plus transactions, which most agents that we talk to, you say, how many transactions do you want to do? And they say, well, I'd love to do a hundred. <laughs> and then we'll say, okay, so do you want to, are you doing that? Do you have an admin? Do you have a team? Tell me what your setup is. Nope. It's just me. And you want to do a hundred. Okay. Do you have a family? Yeah. So that's normally the next question that's there because you're doing all of the stuff that you don't like to do. That's why you're in sales. Sales is, we don't love the paperwork. We don't love all of the other stuff is what I just call it. I just call it the stuff because it's it's time consuming. It, it keeps me from focusing on all of my dollar producing um, things that I need to do is the other stuff. So you are so correct. That having that staff there, that first hire of that staff there does alleviate a lot. It alleviates lots. And that same rubric carries through. Now I've got an administrative assistant. When's my next hire? When your bandwidth is again 
maxed out. When you find yourself saying, I have a listing and I have a buying, I've got two sides in my hands and I just lost the buying side. I didn't have time for it. Or you're forcing yourself to make the choice. I can only get one. You know, the Confucius is old saying, he who chases two rabbits catches none. You try to get both. I'll get the listing and the buyer and they both get dissatisfied. They don't get optimal service. So when you find yourself that you freed up the bandwidth, now you're full with only sales activity. Maybe time to consider bringing on a buyer agent when you say, I can't do both. I've got enough business where I'll bring on somebody. So the bandwidth rule always applies when you and that buyer agent are maxed out and the admins maxed out, maybe a second buyer agent. Admins can probably handle conservatively 50 to 75 transactions a year. You and three buyers agents are bringing in 150. You probably need to have a second admin, you know? So it's all about what's my bandwidth? Am I in my sweet spot doing what I should be doing from two perspectives? As the sales lead, you know, is this stuff that a 12 or $20 an hour person can do? Because that's just simple business sense. I'm $500 and $300 an hour. Why am I doing it? And two, <laughs> should I be the best to do it? Because quality wise, it's not going to do well. My mental health is going to go crazy and my family's not going to talk to me. Well, each, each time that you're talking about, it's a different level up type of thing. So we have an admin, they should take us to the next level. And then we get up, we have too much that's going on with the buyers. Now we have a buyer's agent, us plus that buyer's agent. Then we need another one because we're having too much business coming through. And the one thing that you don't want to do is you don't want to compromise on your cut, your, um, client's experience, not just the client's service, but your client's experience is what brings you in more referrals. So all of this kind of fits all together. So talk to me about how Wise Hire helps that. So, you know, is it just something that um, I'm looking for an admin, I go to Wise Hire, I, is it just a couple of points and clicks and I can proceed on? Talk to me about the process. Yeah, absolutely. So Wisehire's three core value propositions are going to be one, starting with a great job description. And, and that seems easier than it's said, but job descriptions like marketing copy and today's job descriptions aren't the same. So we're going to, we have an internal team of editors that understand SEO. You know, it's just like search engine optimization on anything else. We want the keywords that resonate and get on the top of the search findings for all the candidates out there. Second one, we talk about like the three cues. So the quality of the job description. Second one is quantity of applicants. We're going to post the job to the top 60 job boards for you. This is all automated. I mean, we'll do it in our teams and hiring coaches inside monitor all this stuff. It's not just the job boards. We'll take care of the top 60, but the passive candidates and the active candidates, the active ones are on job boards. The passive ones will give you buttons for your social media. So Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, it'll allow that to go out to your feed. And we even create a careers page for your website because, and I'm not selling wise hire. I can do that by doing uh-huh. this. The key is <laughs> we, we want to make sure that we get both populations. You know, maybe they're making a couple sides. Maybe they haven't gone to Indeed or ZipRecruiter and posted a, a profile yet. So your social media and your career site on your website are crucial because if they're in the market, they're there. They're probably looking for you. They already know your site and they're visiting it. And then the third cue is the quality of the candidates. And so we own the disk and the values profiles. We compare every applicant against a benchmark based on studying thousands of performers in every one of these roles. So we rank order for you from excellent fit to, to, to poor 
The key is we want to get the most applicants in the door for you and rank order them instead of a big, I always said, dump a bowl of M&Ms on the table and go, good luck. You know, they're in there somewhere. You want to put them in a straight line. So, cause you've got five minutes, you got eight extra minutes, you know, you need to go in and be able to hit the most likely candidates that are predicted to perform best right from the beginning. And you want to get them first before they go off and find something else, by the way, there's like a hot lead on a house. You don't want to call them 12 minutes later or two hours later. So when you talk about job description, is this something that I need to already have typed up and figured out prior to posting my job with you? Or is this a service that you all help with? The latter. We have templates that are already in there that the editors have already written. The SEO folks have looked at and said, is this the key title example? A lot of people will say, I'm looking for a buyer's agent. 10x the increase in fines when they put real estate sales agent. So we've got templates that already have learned all these things. They're in there. You're, they're editable. So you can click one button. Boop, there it is. And you can go ahead and change it however you want or choose from a library of other options. But yeah, most salespeople, like you said, talking about salespeople, Sherry, not great at creative writing either. You know, they just want to say, I like that one. Use it. Let's go. Well, I mean, but that's huge, Jay. So the, because I talk to so many people when we talk about recruiting and we talk about placing an ad that's where they stop at. What ad do I place? Where do I place? How much is this gonna cost me? What about all of these applicants that are coming through? So if I'm hearing you correctly, and I wanna make sure I'm hearing you correctly because this is huge. And there's a lot of people who don't know that this is how Wise Hire works. So if I'm hearing you correctly, I can go and I'm looking for a buyer's agent. I can go to Wise Hire. I can type in that I'm looking for a buyer's agent you're going to give me job descriptions to choose from that I can change and I can just do little tweaks to it. So I don't have to think of the entire thing all by myself. Correct. And don't and worry then, that if you screw it up. A lot of people say, I don't want to edit it. What if I break it? Everything <laughs> goes, no matter what it is, everything goes through another editorial process before they ship it out to the job boards and they'll look at it and go, you change the title back to buyer agent. That's probably not going to work. And then from there, you will then wise hire, then send it out to get the different applicants. And you're not just doing an Indeed, you're doing social media for people who haven't quite gotten there yet. So you're getting in front of them before they go onto a job hiring application uh, site to raise their hand saying, I'm looking. Everywhere but Craigslist. ZipRecruiter, Indeed, Monster, Glassdoor, Simply Hired, you name it, plus your social media, plus your website. And about 40% of the applicants that see a job online, check your website out first. So, you know, something that we'll talk about here, I would assume, um, is you, you have to be thinking like a marketer. And so it starts right here. You can't put crappy copy up on your website and say, we sell houses, we're good, use us. Uh, like, you know, but people don't when they go to jobs they're like they think of some old government contract that they saw where the words are per letter and they truncated or they think of craigslist and no offense to craigslist it's not a job board if i want to use beer fridge for my garage craigslist is the place i go if i want a really top talent salesperson or administrative assistant who is going to be a godsend to me i'm not finding it on craigslist so we have a link that if somebody still wants to use Craigslist, there is a link that's unique to that job. You can use that to post anywhere you want as well or invite somebody. But other than that, we're going to cover everything where somebody should be. 
And then you, you all also have those applicants then do a DISC assessment. Correct. And we drip on them for a week. Um, on, on, sometimes they don't get it done, you know, or they, they clicked one button apply with Indeed or Zip and they were okay, I got to take this 12 minute online assessment. So we'll keep emailing them for the better part of the week. And this is the first filter. Maybe, well, yeah. in administrative jobs, maybe 20% don't get it done. In sales jobs, it jumps up to more like 30, 35%. So after five requests, we figure that's the first filter. If you can't make it up the two flights of steps to apply, you're not really that interested. So, Awesome. So Jay, let's switch gears for just a second. Um, Michael, uh, if he was on here, one of the things that he would have said, I promise you, and so I'm going to, I'm going to be his voice for a second is never hire one buyer's agent. So, um, I'd like to hear your opinion on that. You know, the idea of if we've got two buyers agents, we have two people going after, we have a little bit of a competition. We've got, you know, with your background and, you know, obviously studying business and teams and all this, you know, what's, what's your thoughts along that? Um, I agree and I disagree in certain one, one respect. I mostly agree in everything else though. So just from a, a, a functional business standpoint, it, the rule would be, do I have two roles? You know, if they both work out, do I have two roles? The only place I ever disagree is if you're looking for just one, hire two. But if you have room for two, hire two. I mean, if, even if you think, you know, I'm only going to be really looking for one. The benefit of hiring two is that, that business function is you double your, your effectiveness. I'm going to probably have to do some training. I need to onboard. I like the competitive aspect. This is a sales job. You know, from the value side, we know that economics should be number one in salespeople and the higher, the better. Um, and we weigh it more than anything else. So that brings with it and, and the D that brings with it competitiveness. So I love that. It just makes more sense. 90 out of 90% of new agents fail to survive the first two years when hired accurately, that drops down to more like a 30, 33% turnover. So about a third don't make it. So you're never, it makes sense to hire two or more, maybe even three, because you're still not going to get it right every time. And you're still going to have attrition. And in some cases, attrition is good. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes the best thing can happen is someone leaves us, right? So uh, it doesn't always, doesn't always feel good. Sometimes it's like, oh my gosh. But at the end of the day, sometimes that really improves your culture. There's just so many different things that happen. Sometimes, sometimes uh, we have to just let somebody go or sometimes thank God they leave on their own. So, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it happens. I mean, it's, it's true. And that doesn't mean they're bad people. That just means that maybe they're not the best people for us, right? It doesn't always no. mean that the one who leaves your Absolutely. And oftentimes you can't tell that. Nothing you can do is going to be 100%. And there's that last piece. I'm a huge fan of the 90-day probationary period. You just never quite know. And um, it prevents the old, uh, there's a problem where we used to say that somebody, the, pro the biggest problem is they quit but forgot to tell us. You yes. They're, they're, they're just there. Uh, yeah. You're not really doing a whole lot. So, yeah, taking up leads, taking up space, taking up energy for sure. So, so let's talk about that. So, if I get in front of somebody, um, let's talk about what are the things that you know you want. That let's assume that your program work or whatever program we've got works, and all of a sudden I'm sitting in front of somebody. You know what? What's the next step? You know what are the questions that we ask? What are the things that we look for? What's the process? What's the way to? You know, if I've got a hundred people, that I get it down to that 10, 15 people that I want to hire versus hiring a hundred and then I got to fire ninety of them. Right. Uh, we talk about stacking filters. That first filter, if you didn't even take, you know, after five requests, you couldn't complete the assessment. 
boom, second filter where everybody's ranked excellent, very good, average, poor, start in the excellent, very good range, the top 50% at least, probably more like the top 70, 75%. From there, look at the resume. So, you know, do they have a license? Uh, have they practiced you know, for two years, three years? So those filtering questions can be another filter. I want someone with a license with five sides. Boom. You know, so immediately you're taking this stack down, down, down. Every filter, like filtering gold, starts them to, you know, to uh, strip away certain people. We're a big fan of a phone screen. This is a sales job. You know, in admin, I think this works as well because did they show up on time? How do they present themselves? Admins in these roles aren't isolated in a dark office somewhere in a corner. They're interacting with customers all the time. So you can have a 10-minute phone screen with somebody and very effectively get through a large group of people and take that down to a smaller group. And again, I'm, I'm kind of harsh. If I ask you for an appointment to have a 10, 15-minute phone interview for a job you applied for and you don't reply or you're late, that's an X, you know, it's just, it's a filter. You didn't make it through. So by the time you get live looking at somebody face to face, you shouldn't have that many left anyway. Resumes outside of factual information really don't mean much. There's no predictive validity as far as success goes to a resume. More so in this case, I think, you know, because it's not like an engineer or a physician or, you know, the resume has all that really important stuff in it that you have to have people in this walk come from all over the place, but the, we'll give you an interview guide, which has very specifically written personalized questions from their disc and values to help guide you through that as well. And you want to ask those kind of behavioral questions about strengths and weaknesses that you bring to this job and how are you going to employ these strengths and how are you going to make sure that these things that you're not great at, you know, look, for example, we already talked about, you know, you're not necessarily the most detail oriented, organized, accurate person. How do you make sure that's not going to kill you or us when you come on as a buyer agent? There's a lot of stuff you have to do. Those kind of specific questions. Unfortunately, I think the biggest mistake we see is people look at the resume and they go, this is the end all be all. But it's a sales brochure written by Ford Motor Company trying to talk against Chevy and sell you on Ford. <laughs> the resume, you know. Oh, well, they right paper, right? <laughs> yeah, they put references in. Sure, you know. <laughs> right. to put the reference of the neighbor they hate or the boss that last fired them. They don't do that. It's written by them and their salespeople. It's another old saying, sometimes the last thing a bad salesperson sold was themselves. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Don't look at the resume that much. Look at the interview and the personality and, and those kind of things. So one of the biggest problems that we have in our industry is we hire people and they seem like they're going to be rock stars. They're, you know, they're excited. They've, they can, you know, you and I were having a conversation like, wow, if this guy talks like this with my clients, you know, our, our, our mutual clients and we'll, then we'll do great. But then there's this thing and this thing weighs about 10,000 pounds to the majority of the people that I ever talk to. And it, it, this is one hurdle that I would love to figure out how to overcome. And maybe you can kind of give us some insight on it today. So, you know, if I'm sitting with you, I say, Jay, you know, one of the things that we do is we are a prospecting based business. I wish that I just had, you know, 50 buyers for you to go show houses to, but that's not realistic. You know, we buy leads, the leads come in and we distribute those leads. You call those leads, you set appointments and go show property and basically wash, rinse, repeat. So my expectation is that you're going to call 50 people a day. The majority of the people that I hire go, no problem. And then yeah. the majority of the people that I hire don't necessarily want to do that. So, you know, 
there's there's a question I'm missing or an opportunity I'm missing or, or something. And I, and I feel like probably the majority of our audience goes, I had, I knew this guy was going to get on the phone and kill it. And then, you know, he sends three text messages and goes, I don't know why I don't have any showings. What, uh, what what's your suggestion? Yeah, exactly. Or they tap their sphere of influence and then they kind of waiting. Yeah. There are sales roles. If you think about a car salesman or a furniture salesman, people will say, Ooh, they were in sales. I love them. Think it through. What's that person doing until you walk in the door? They're standing there. You pull over the car lot, they're standing there. And guys are outside smoking and drinking coffee, just waiting, going. Lot lizards. You know, or. <laughs> lot lizards? Lot lizards. Oh, my. Oh but they're cold. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I'm not talking disparagingly against them. No. I mean, I know a few, and that's great. But until you open the front door and walk in and say, hey, I need a couch, they're not prospecting. Yep. The greatest key, and I'm biased because I, you know, the disc and the values that that we own, um, that's the greatest predictive measure. So what somebody says in a 30 minute interview or an hour or two hours of combined interviewing, if you're doing team interviews with others, which is great and advisable, get other people to interview them as well, because they'll look at it. Sherry will look at it very differently from than, than you do. But the profile. I sit there all the time and probably every day I have a conversation already did this morning and someone says, well, they look great and on paper, they talk great. We love them. So there is no way in hell that person is going to pick up the phone and dial a hundred FISBOs they're not going to. And if they do it the first day, they're not going to do it the second day. They're not going to hunt and prospect. Um, you know, Woody Allen's or John Wayne was interviewed and hired on Friday and Woody Allen showed up on Monday kind of thing. You know, it, it, it happens. That's the problem with interviewing and looking at resumes. The personality assessments are so validated and, and accurate that we're able to make, it's called predictive analytics. We're able to make predictions that say, this person we know because we've studied thousands of listing agents or hunter buyer agents or admins or TCs or whatever, ISAs. We know these are the correlations. And if they don't have these characteristics and traits, they're not gonna handle call reluctance well. They're gonna take all calls personally 70%, this is anecdotal, but gosh, we've probably got, we may have a million applicants out there in the, in the U.S. from an agent side. And I would say 70% look more like a buyer, like a showing agent. This explains why 9 out of 10 of them fail. Yes, really social, very personable, nice with a high influencing, gregarious, extroverted, talkative style, but lower D. And some of them even have a higher C, but they're very active, attentive to detail. They're fine with the paperwork, but they're sitting in the front door, ready to sell you a couch. But unless you walk in and open it up, they just sit there and wait. So what's the personality that I'm looking for, I guess? Because I, I heard you say D, you know, it's interesting because we don't necessarily think of buyer's agents. I think traditionally we think of buyer's agents as ISs, it's, it's, it's traditionally. So what, what are you saying that? We actually found two trends. We were talking to these people about who are your best buyer agents. And they're like, oh, this, you know, or that. And I'm like, hmm, this just doesn't make any sense. How is this high SC or SI um, and S then I dominating your buyer agent? Well, we found if they, it's the two different contexts. If the office has an ISA, the SI can become their best buyer agent. Sure. But the ISA is out on the street, stopping cars, dragging people out of their car, bringing them to the front door and saying, go buy a couch. 
And then the person kicks in and takes over. They, they you know, some people call them schedulers. They're prospecting, they're following up with these leads and they're getting somebody on your calendar at two 30 on Wednesday. You're not doing much selling. You're servicing you're, it's a consultative sale. Mm-hmm. Other offices were like, no, these are our best buyer agents. And we saw I S and D came up. So D still not like 90, like a listing agent. Listing agents are like 90 and 90, you know, monster D, monster I, low S, low C. The buyer agents that are hunters, there's no ISA. Like you said there in your shop at Club Wealth, we'll give you some leads, but you really have to go get them. And we're expecting you to get the majority of them yourself, not just hand it to you. That's still around a 60 to 65 D, not a 90, but even as high as a 70. And the S comes down a little bit, but the S still stays above the line because if you take that listing agent, they play HGTV with the buyers. They're like, I'm going to show you three houses and you got to pick one because there's no way in hell I'm showing you 30. So <laughs> no buyers need more patience. So it's a balance between do we want them to hunt, but still be okay handling 20 houses and longer cycles, longer tails, having to deal with a lot more patience. So I think that there is some truth to what you're saying with that, because when I can think about my team, so my team is 37 agents in Atlanta. When I think about that team, my top buyers agents, the agents that focus mainly on buyers, um, they are high D's, DC, DS, IS, and a DS. That's what they are. My top, the ones that are just at the top every single time. That's what they are. One of them is a SIC, actually. <laughs> but I think she kind of, kind of mimics a D. Um, talking about the DISC profile, Jay, we've got a question, and it comes from um, Rick Straub. So Rick's question is, what is the best practices for applicants? Should we reach out even if they haven't completed the DISC profile? Um, our advice is no. Okay, we, we talk about stacking filters and leaving you out in the field doing your job and selling. Mm-hmm. To me... It's a minimum threshold. If you can't give us 12 minutes in 2017, the average completion time for the disc and the values was 12 minutes and it's an eighth grade reading level. I hear people on a monthly basis, probably somebody says, but you know, are you scaring away good candidates? And I would say if a good candidate can't give you 12 minutes to invest in a simple online assessment, why are they a good candidate? Well, I love their resume. Okay. But the first filter is a fail. I personally wouldn't be reaching out to saying, remember, WiseHire has already emailed them one, two, three, possibly four times, depending on where they are. If I have to intervene and say, hey, I want you to personally take this, I think I'm pushing too hard and I don't want to have to drag an applicant into the pool for me. Well, I think it's already showing me if I'm sitting down and I'm saying to you, let's say that they didn't do that. And I still went back and I started calling on those that didn't do the 12 minute disc profile or assessment for them to do. And I talk to you and you're a salesperson. So you're selling me on yourself the entire time. We know what an interview is. It's not, it's, they bring their representative to the interview, even over the phone. It's someone else. It's not the person who you realize they really are after the honeymoon phase is over with. So in doing that, and then you're not making your phone calls, or if there's a system to you, once you've made your phone calls, I want you to import it into this and they're missing that step. Or I need for you to fill out, I mean, 
I've taught you how to fill out a contract and you keep bringing it to me with all these things missing. My goodness. Well, you wonder why. They don't take the time to pay attention to certain small things. Now, as a salesperson, do we want them having to do all the little itty bitty details? No, we can hire an admin for certain things, but my goodness, the contract and getting our systems and having it in place so that everything talks to it, to each other and we keep everything compliant and ourselves out of real estate jail, that's probably at the top of my list there. Absolutely. I mean, I completely. Yeah, we have more leniency with some sales roles because we know they're not as good. And in other roles, we would definitely hold a higher level of compliance with detail and accuracy. But that doesn't mean it's irrelevant. Not at all. That doesn't mean we can just dismiss it. Here's the biggest psychological driver that I think people miss. Now, got our hat on. We're in sales mode for lists and, and buys, right? So every lead is a lead. Yep. Every lead is somebody we should chase down. Here's a person that might want to sell their house, might want to buy their house. We've put it out there. It converts a certain percent. We're going to put the message out again, convert another percent, put it out. We want every one of those leads and we, we don't want to let them go. We're like, I'll get them. It has to flip upside down when you're hiring. Take your sales hat off and put on your home seller hat. Think like a listing, the owners of the house. If I put out to a group of realtors, I would like somebody to come help sell my house. Am I going to go back a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time to, a, to an agent and go, hey, I've asked you to come tell me if you want to help me sell my house. You know, So think not like the salesperson who's trying to get the leads because that's where we live all day long. Think like the person who has the house that goes, I got something really special here. And this is an opportunity I want to award to the right person, not give, award. And, and that's what they get caught in this, hey, can we dump them all into my CRM so I can see if we can draw them back in later? They've already applied. They've already actively raised their hand and said, I want this job. It's not like you're dripping on people that aren't ready. That's great. Passive agents who are out there who haven't decided whether they want to buy or sell. You know, they haven't decided whether they want to move over. Awesome. Drip. Be in front of them. But if the person says, yes, please give me the job and then can't follow through with any of the details, misses emails, doesn't respond, can't make the phone interview, misses it, is late. So Rick, Rick has a follow-up question to that. He says, um, for reaching out to the applicants, is do we reach out to them the first time through Wise Hire or should we call them? Up to you. I would probably recommend both. I mean, if you see somebody, they have gotten to that level you like what you see in the resume, they've got an excellent or a very good score for the personality fit. You can send them an email right there inside WiseHire. So that's nice because it keeps it tracked. I don't have to lose it in my Gmail, thousand emails or figure out where it was. It keeps a conversation like text messages on your iPhone and call and text. Uh, you know, now I'm, I'm thinking like a salesperson there. They've done everything on their side. I've asked of them. I like them. So here's an email inside WiseHire. I see their phone number. I'll text them, say, hey, when can you talk? And I'll probably give them a call and leave them a voicemail if I don't get a response in a few minutes. So the personality fit in their score that's coming, I just want to make sure it's clear. Their score that Wise Hire is um, producing, that is based upon what exactly? What is comprised of this score being high versus low? Is it just how quickly they replied? 
um, how quickly they filled out the assessment plus what the assessment says, like based upon my job description, like how is all that factored in to give me a really nice score and what's an attractive score I should look at? Oh, it's a great question. And it's strictly based on the disc and the values. So we have scores, ideal scores for the D, the I, the S and the C. These are different for every role. You know, one might be a 90, one might be a 62, one might be a 32. The I, the S and C, and we're looking for the top three values for that role. So the closer they get to that, the closer they get to all of those variables, the higher their score goes. So now the dashboard is simply looking at excellent, very good, average, or poor rankings. We originally started with a zero to 100 scale, and it's an old dashboard that some old clients may still have. There was a, a statistics professor in college who said, you know, you can measure with a micrometer, mark it with chalk, and cut it with an ax. And it means you don't need all of those other things. Mm-hmm. We're really kind of at the chalk or the axe level. The performance variances between a 71 and an 81 are almost imperceivable. You know, long-term longitudinal stuff maybe. But we had people that were like, why would I ever interview somebody who is a 78? And they're kind of thinking like grade school, you know, what's the grade there? But that's an F in the 60s. So we're, it's not fair comparison. It's an F to me too. Yeah, so we just put excellent or very good, average or poor. And we tell you guys, hunt in both, the excellent and the very good. There can be some fantastic B-plus or A-minus people that, you know, with the right training and the right culture might be fantastic. So don't ever ignore the very goods either. Are you all seeing a lot of um, people who come through that are not licensed yet? Is that majority of what comes through, those that are not licensed, so it might be a longer uh, curation period before that person gets there? It depends on on what you put out there. So we can have screening questions that literally say, do you have a license? They have to check yes or no. And I think that's important. Um, and you can look at the resume as well. You'll still get a lot of people that apply. And I, I, I'm kind of on both sides of the fence on this one because I hate when I say must have a license and the person doesn't. But it's a sales role, and I love the chutzpah of the guy that says, no, I don't have a license, but I'm going to go for it anyway. I'll convince them that you know, they'll, they'll hire me. So it's kind of a trade-off. We're seeing a big trend in people putting up jobs that aren't for licensed agents. Um, it's it's got to be what's right for you. you know, if you're not ready to train somebody, if you're not ready to onboard somebody, but I can talk about some of the biggest teams in the country in the last year or two's hires that they've had 100% didn't have a license. They're still there. Um, top performers. I'm talking 12, 24, you know, kind of agents in a one or two year period. And they're putting up jobs. We do unlimited jobs on our site. So you can put up one that says licensed agent, talk about how they're going to specialize with buyers. But since it doesn't cost anything, a lot of people are saying, I'll put up a job for outside sales. Now, they have to get their license as part of it. But boy, um, the numbers pop up on average, only about 6% of licensed agents change brokerages in a given year. Yeah, we have seen that. So um, what you're saying, I've seen that. I've seen some clients that are starting off with this OSA, ISA style position. And um, these people who are prospective agents or, you know, they should become agents, they've got 90 days. So they're in this position for 90 days. It's kind of like the starter position. Well, that also helps with the rest of the team. 
um, certain states won't allow it because certain states require that your OSA have a license. So if anybody's listened to this, please check with your state first uh, before you go and do that. But we've seen some clients with some great success with having that being their starter role. And then they move to a showing agent. They don't go straight to agent. So they're using this as a training position. So once they get their license, then they move to a showing agent. And then from there, they can get promoted up to a buyer's agent. Um, right. And there's there's promotions that keep on going up through there all the way out to expansions and regionals and, and all of that. So, yes, that is what you're saying. And that does happen on a lot of the larger teams. We do have it where you do start off with an OSA or an ISA style position. So are you seeing a lot of people um, start to look for listing agents now? It's still one of the least um, searched for jobs. Uh, you, you have to get to a pretty good sized team before you're ready to leave listing. And think about it. Most listing agents are the team leaders. Yeah. And they, what we were talking about, Brian, earlier, you know, I now don't have time for lists and buyers. So I'm going to find buyers agents and I'll stick with the listing side because they're more profitable and juicier. And I get to go up on job or uh, boards with it. You know, it gives me a reason. Only once that person elevates to a point where they say, I'm going to be the business owner. I'm not going to be the chief rainmaker anymore. And now I'm going to bring in somebody to take my place. So you need to get a good enough size team, you know, something like where you are, Sherry, where you say, I'm going to be the CEO. I'm not going to be the doer anymore. But so that's why it's rare, you know, because most people don't think of it like starting a business and, you know, I'm going to go up and actually intend to find a listing agent. I've seen it but really rarely where they say right from the beginning, I'm going to find a listing agent and a couple of buyer agents and I'm just going to manage it. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's a, it's a mindset thing that I think clicks in people's head once they get to a certain point that they realize that yes, this is a business and I'm a business owner. Um, and I have other families that I need to provide for. So I need to grow this business and not deal with the buyers and sellers that are every day for that. How can I um, make this business larger, which then benefits the agents and all of our staff even more. It brings them more income, brings them easier. It gets their, you know, the fastest path to cash for them. Um, when you switch your hat and you say business owner, but yes, that is the time when you're looking at listing agents and not same kind of scenario there. It's not really one listing agent that you're searching for. You're really kind of searching for two at first in case that one of them falls off because it's the same thing. Everyone thinks listing agents are cool. They think that it's easy for listing agents because you don't have to go back and forth in and out of houses. And they don't realize listings require a certain skill set. And we all know that different skill sets takes 10,000 hours to master it. So it is a long time to get someone to be a top-notch listing agent. They can half it for a while. But at some point, you're going to land against that one client that makes you feel like, uh-oh, I need to go check my drawers. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, it's what's right for you. You've got the solopreneur who wants to, to back to Brian's first story about, I just want my 50. That's great. You know, that person owns a job. You know, they don't own a company, they own a job. That's great. They're a solopreneur. Perfect. And a lot of people want to stay there. Some want to, you know, they want to mature to the point where they're not working in it all day, but they're evolved to where they're truly not even working in it. They're working on it. And that's the other end of the spectrum. You know, they've, they're, they're the CEO. They've got listing agents and sales managers and trainers and recruiters and ISAs. 
And somewhere somebody says, you know what, five, six, seven person team, this is exactly where I want to be. So not everybody has to make it to the, the pinnacle of the mountain. Some people want to be here. Some people want to be down here. Whatever's right for you. Let's talk some um, ratios for a second. So, you know, as a real estate coach, one of the things, you know, I'll coach somebody who has a, a team of, say, 10 agents. And, you know, if you, it's significantly easier, in my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe we're going about it differently to hire a non-licensed agent because they're they're excited they're motivated um they don't have those ties like you said six percent of people move each year which is a surprisingly small number i don't know that i knew that number but with only six percent of the people moving in a year you know if you've got five thousand people in a board then that's only 300 agents that are moving in an entire year so that's a that's a pretty big statement that that's going on there um, so obviously there's a need for that influx of other blood if you have it, but do you have, do you have a feel for like, Hey, you know, two to one, three to one, four to one. Um, I've been telling people four to one because ultimately we're all really busy. And if I bring on, if I went the other way, if I brought on four new agents and then one experienced agent, I teach them everything. And, you know, if I got an experienced agent, I'm going to go over, make sure they're writing contracts the way I want, make sure they're going through the process the way I want, but they know how to fill out the flipping form. So um, I know that seems like a simple thing, but, you know, what's your thoughts on that? It's a trade-off and it's a really damn hard, tough trade-off, to be honest with you. Um, The appeal of having to not do much other than support somebody, you know, they, they already know how to do this. They've been licensed. Is, is high because I don't have as much time to onboard and train them. The dangerous side of it is, so you got 6%. You have to ask yourself, why are those 6% coming to me? You know, why aren't they really crushing it? Why aren't they already killing it? Now, there are some examples, brand new. I'm really young. The broker said they would mentor me and give me admin support. And I'm, you know, they didn't. So, okay, then you've got a really young person that's just started. And I mean, not age-wise, but you know, experience-wise young. Sure. The benefit of bringing somebody on new, and I would tend to probably fall on the side of the outside sales, is I want to find somebody who's providing for their family and supporting themselves right now in outside sales. That's what they do. They, 70% of the agents we've profiled have the personality of a showing agent. You know, They're much more about, I'm glad to show you 30 houses, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, and let's talk about this over pedophores and how beautiful this could be in design you know, they love that consultative sale. Give me a hunter that's out there selling whatever right now. And the real estate is just the next features, functions, and benefits, the next product in their tool bag. They can learn to sell. And to Sherry's point, that's why I love that model. Bring them on, put them in an ISA role, if you can, legally. Um, you know, there's my, I, I agree with you, Sherry. Jay didn't say to go break the laws of whatever state you're in, um, caveat. But bring them on and you got 90 days. I'm going to mentor you. ISAs usually get a base salary. So they're they're fishing while they're learning. They're making calls. They're helping the team. They're bringing in revenue. They're learning the inside. They're making a little salary. They've got an opportunity. The beautiful part is if they don't follow through in those 90 days, you know they're not going to take agent leads. They're not going to take over spots that are really valuable. So there's the biggest, the biggest filtering process ever is that 90 days, start out as an ISA, learn this, get your license, and show me that you've got the grit to actually do it. Uh, I think I'm much more a fan of bringing in outside sales professionals. 
Okay. The question is, what's the split? What's the split? You know, that's usually the first question out of a lot of agents. Mouths. Right. Well, and, it, and I would also say it's different for a, a team than a brokerage. So at a brokerage, um, you're looking at, you know, you're going to go do it yourself. I'll surprise, I'll give you mentorship. I'll provide you support. But what I'm not giving you is people to call. So, and, and ultimately you don't work for the team, you work for yourself at our brokerage where the team, you know, we all kind of work together for a common goal and I can set expectations on you because in turn, I'm giving you something for those expectations. I'm saying, look, here's our CRM, here's our system, here's open house signs, here's, uh, you know, leads, which is honestly the thing that I would say probably 90% of the people come to a team for it's not why they stay but 90 percent of the people come because oh i need to delete because basically i tried this on my own and for all practical purposes watching wheel of fortune at tuesday at noon uh, makes me unemployed even though technically i'm a realtor and my license is on the wall um unless i've got somebody to talk to as, as i've always looked at this as uh you know from the agent perspective unless i'm talking to somebody showing property or working on a contract i'm unemployed so, um, and it's in this industry, it's pretty easy to be unemployed if you, if you don't have a big right. sphere, if you don't have those type of things. So that's why teams, I think, have really become a popular thing because I can go into a market, know 10 people in the entire you know market, and then get on a team and, and still work and have, and, and have opportunities. So. To that, Brian, I think that um, one thing that, that we do hear a lot of, um, and I have someone who does my recruiting for me, but one thing that she hears a lot of is, even prior to is what's the split? What's the split? And then one of the funny things I always um, say to her is, "What were they doing? What have they done the last twelve months? They've done how many deals? They've done three deals in the last twelve months." Okay, so one of the things that we started doing is that we start talking about what's our value proposition outside of just the leads. What else do we do to help take things off of your plate? And what else are we paying for? Because what people fail to realize is that there's a ton of stuff that the CEO or team leader um, takes care of prior to you even coming onto that team or they take off of your plate. And some of the things you didn't even know that you should be doing that you're not doing <laughs> at that time. So I love it when we get the, I actually really like it when I get the what's the split question um, because it's, we look at kind of what their past, what they've been doing right now. And I can tell you out of the people, my top producer on my team, what she was doing, she did, I think she did like three deals prior to her coming on in the 12 months prior to her being on our team. And so far this year, she's already done 60. So I don't think that the, what's the split is what comes up in her head. It's the everything else that's come along with being on this team, how I can just hand it off. I just go get another one and I hand it off. You know, it's that quality of life that comes. Quality of life is not just that I've spent 14 hours. It's also, I don't have to babysit this transaction. It's also that, hey, I want to go to the parent-teacher conference and I want to be there and I want to be the room parent and I want to go on date nights with my husband and be awake and alert and present in the moment <laughs> and not have to worry about my phone ringing off the hook. You know, that's there's a story that could probably be covered later about the be awake and present part. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like a history. <laughs> Look, make no bones about it. If you want to start a team, here's the number one piece of advice I give you before you take the first agum step. Teams are not mini brokerages. Brokerages and teams are so completely different in the world that people just don't realize it. Oh, I got a team. I'm just going to make like a mini brokerage. 
they're they're completely opposite business models. Yep. A brokerage is worried about getting as many people underneath them as possible. They 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 want to make sure that they've got a license and there's a bare bare minimum threshold there. And and it's mitigating my risk by not investing too much in you and no sweat off my back if nine out of ten of you fail. I got two of your cousins and your grandmother to sell a house. You're done. That's all you had in your sphere. Okay, great. And I'm not being mean. I co-own a brokerage. I'm just saying it's a different business model. That's not a business model we see anywhere else in the flipping world. A no. real company has divisions. A real company has a salesperson and a support person and a specialist and you know customer support and administrative assistance and management and training. Teams are establishing a real company. You're caring about who you hire. You're looking much more deeply at them. That's why they have about a 30% turnover instead of 90, you know? And everybody's in a little area where they have the greatest talents and they're specializing in what they do best. And the team so outperforms anything else because it's being run like a real company. And I think that's one of the things that's really, I think that people have missed. I think you really hit that on the head is is a numbers game so let me let me talk about another number game for teams so i i own a brokerage and i have a team so i kind of work just like you're talking about from both sides so the brokerage give me 150 agents i'll just take every single one of them you know as long as they're as long as there's no ethical concerns that i have with that you know clear. yeah you know as long as they you know good human beings and obviously you'll miss some, but nonetheless, as long as we're not concerned about ethics or anything along those lines, I'll take every single one of those people. Each one of them is worth approximately $5,000 a year to me. That's, and that's how I do the math and that's how it works out. But let's talk about teams. So, you know, I hear some people say, well, I only want to hire a couple people to my team. I want to have a very controlled environment. I want to make sure that, you know, we're providing them enough service and enough leads and enough of this. And then I get other people who say, look, I'm going to hire 10 people with the expectation in 90 days that I'll have one or two left. Where do you fall on that as someone who's, you know, a professional hirer? Where do you, where do you fall on that? Um, and I'll make some enemies with this, or, and, and I shouldn't necessarily, but I know I've made this statement before and people kind of get hurt about it. You're just being a mini broker if you do the latter. If you just say, look, I'm just going to act like a mini broker. I, I don't have my brokerage license, but I'm just going to act like the other broker models. And that is the right thing for a broker. You're 100% correct. You know, As long as they're good people and you give them what you tell them you're going to give them, and an opportunity is mostly what you're giving them because they're solopreneurs and they're contractors, according to the IRS. I'm not supposed to train you. I'm not supposed to tell you when to work. I'm not, right. You're supposed to have everything you need to do. Um, and you tell me, you know. So if all you do is open a team and every, you know, buddy that walks in the door, you hire and you say nine out of 10 of them are going to fail. That's not the way teams work. That's not a team. It's just a, a mock brokerage. A team is a business. A team has divisions and specialization and people actually get to live in their in their expertise in their zone and do the best thing. They have careful hiring practices, just like a company. Get out of real estate and pretend you're opening a restaurant or you're opening a marketing agency or an accounting firm. You know, everybody's going to have certain roles and they're not all universal. Otherwise, you're just a mini brokerage and you're, you're, you're taking you're not doing what you should be, in my opinion, on a team, and you're not going to hit the numbers. You're just going to be like a broker. The numbers should be about the same, just smaller. Instead of 150, you got 15. Yeah, you said something that that um, when you said it's a is it a generalist or is it a specialist? You know, 
Um, a lot of people don't like to think of themselves as specializing in buyers or specializing in, in listings. And when you really look at it and you think about it, the people who do specialize in one or the others are the ones that make the most amount of money. You know, so if I'm a specialist at this, look at other, look at other, um, medicine. yeah, look at medicine. So a dentist, so a dentist in general practice earns $153,000 a year for general practice, but an oral surgeon will earn $1.2 million. One of them is a generalist. The other one is a specialist. One of them is a jack of all trades. They do kind of a little bit of everything. One of them, the other one focuses on what they are good at. And ultimately they understand their lane that they're, that they elevate and that they level up in each time. Um, so that's a, that's a big point because we have a lot of people who say, well, I kind of just want to do both, or I don't want to fit into a box or I don't want to feel as if I'm being boxed in. So um, that is a great point um, that I'm glad that you brought up uh, because it's it's huge. And I know that we're, gosh, we're right at our time. <laughs> we are right at our time. We've got to get on the coaching call. But um, I want to say uh, just in some of the final thoughts, Jay, I do really appreciate you being on. I know that Wise Hire has been sponsoring this for us for a long time, and we appreciate that these podcasts bring so much knowledge to so many different agents. You being on today has helped a lot. So there's a ton of things that people need to understand. People just heard Wise Hire. They didn't understand how it all worked, how it can benefit your business, how it takes away. And it's actually a leverage tool for you to use. It's a system that creates a lot of leverage because what we really don't like doing is picking up the phone and making a ton of recruitment calls. So you've got this fantastic system that takes part of that. Still got to make the call, but it takes part of that away. And it, and it brings, it takes this big old funnel and it narrows it down to these ones that I should focus on. Stupendous. I know a lot of our people, um, use wise listening to make sure they don't need me there's a ton that should that's i think that's tara talking but there's a ton that should if you have not but i really appreciate you being on there today we're actually going to get signed up with it too so thank you so much you answered a ton of my questions by being on here today i love doing it and the education stuff's the most fun part actually i think so thank you guys and I'll say my final thought, Jay, is I don't think we're done. I think that you're going to have to come back. Um, you know, this is a great one-hour conversation that probably needs to have about three more one-hour conversations. So, uh, you know, and, and not that we, and I'm not trying to, your time is obviously very valuable, but uh, we oh, definitely yeah. would love to have you back. Um, this is, like I said at the beginning, this is where we're pushing it. So, uh, Jay, any final thoughts? And then uh, then, we'll, then we'll button up. Uh, you start out from the very beginning and where you want to go, you know, decide right off the bat, do I want to be a mini brokerage or do I want to really run a business? Because I think if you don't get that first question right, then everything that follows that is going to be a domino that's just missed or off or something like that. That's what I hear. I hear begin with the end in mind. So, so as my tribute to Michael, I did this last time. Um, I just want to say that there is a world-class beast inside of every single one of you waiting to get out. Release that beast. Go and have an amazing day. You are world class. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. That's very good. Yeah, you did a good job. Bye.